Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. O'Toole, did you hear the big This Is Us Emmy news? That they got their nomination was removed. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences revoked one of the show's 11 Emmy nominations. Okay, now this is what makes me laugh. Ready? Okay. It's for a reason that seems a little nitpicky, is what they wrote. Okay? <laughs> and I'm dying to hear what the reason is. Okay, well, here it is. Ready? So it turns out that to be nominated in that category, the submitted episode must have at least 51% of the action take place in the last 25 years. Okay, well, so the the episode they submitted for costumes was Moonshadow, and it turns out that Moonshadow did not have half of the episode take place after 1992, and so they had to revoke it, but... So what they're saying, though, is, oh, they should have let it go. because. <laughs> and all I could think of is it's so typical for the world today where, okay, the rules state, which makes sense, that to be contemporary costume winner or submitted, you have to have more than 51% of the costumes have to be contemporary. I mean, it does, there is this, there's a sense of self to that that makes sense. Would you not agree? I agree. So. Yes. <laughs> So they're saying, you know, but but the pushback is, oh, let it go because it's so great and their costumes are so great. And all I could think of is, you don't let it go because they have great costumes. That's the rule. That's the rule. I hear you, Hollister. So that they must have another category for period costumes? I don't know, but I, I think it's too late to submit under a different category. You know... This is what they taught us in law school. You should always read on. If you think you've read the small print, <laughs> the read print. the next paragraph, print, my dear. You know? Always, always. Now, I finally just finished watching season one of This Is Us. You know, I was getting a little nervous there about where the plot lines were headed. But I had to catch up because I saw the headlines that Sylvester Stallone is going to join them for season two. Mm. You know how Kevin has been offered this movie part by Ron Howard. Right. And so they need to bring in some heavyweight to be in that movie with him. Is that heavyweight your idea of a <laughs> of a joke? My subconscious. By the way, it's very good. You know, I, I I don't like this news. Can you do you have any other news that can make me happier? Did you see where NBC is going to be reviving Will and Grace? No. Oh, I did see that, and they're going to change the ending like it didn't happen. Exactly. <laughs> Poof, it's gone. But they're coming back September twenty eighth. They've already been off the air for eleven years. These are some other shows NBC was hoping that they could revive, but there's no takers yet. The Office, Thirty Rock, ER, and the West Wing. And and as you saw, we put up on our social media today, we put that article up and we said that or uh, that Aaron's response um, was that while he loves the show, it's not going to happen. And <laughs> <laughs> of that story. <laughs> now, did you see where Reese Witherspoon has another TV show in the works? No, but it's not she surprising. She has two. Now, this first one I thought was interesting. It's with Jennifer Aniston. And all they've said so far is that it's going to be set in the world of morning television. Hmm. Now, this is something I did not know, but you know that I live under a rock. I had forgotten or I never knew that Reese Witherspoon had a recurring role on Friends as Jennifer Aniston's sister. Yeah, she was her sister. sister. Yeah, exactly. That kind of, that just went right by me. This is what Vanity Fair had to say about it, which I thought was... Kind of interesting. They said that Aniston's return to the small screen makes her the sixth and final friend to finally return to television. Mm. 
But this is what really I find very interesting. Back then, in 2004, when Friends ended, everyone couldn't wait to get off TV so they could seek movie stardom. Nowadays, it's the complete opposite. (laughs) Well, it's the golden age of television, as first stated by you, my dear. And there's another book that Reese Witherspoon is going to adapt. And I just read this book, so I thought this was really interesting. It's called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And I really enjoyed the book. I listened to the audiobook, and the reader does a great job. So I'm curious how Reese Witherspoon's going to adapt it, because I think it's one of those books where the tone could be much harder to get right on the screen. Loneliness is hallmarked by an intense desire to bring the experience to a close, something which cannot be achieved by sheer willpower or by simply getting out more, but only by developing intimate connections. There you go, right? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay, can we go into the center now? An eight-episode series on USA. I'm guessing that this isn't where you thought you'd be when you woke up this morning, is it? I'm sorry. Okay, so unfortunately they're doing them one a week, and you know how I feel about that. Can you please tell me what's going to happen to me? Jessica Biel. Now, by the way, just so you know, her husband, who we all know is is Justin Timberlake, has mm-hmm. been touting it all over his social media, which is 35 million strong. So <laughs> I imagine that didn't hurt the show at all. She's really, really good. She's Emmy worthy in her performance. She is unvarnished and excellent oh, in the series. She really is. Did you watch the first one? I, I saw the pilot. I haven't yet read the book because uh-huh. this was based on a German novel. Yeah, I didn't read the book either. Yeah. But I'm going to now, now that I've seen the pilot. I'm totally curious. I'm excited about all these books being adapted into the long form. Right, well, what did you think of the pilot? I got to say, it's not exactly a genre that I would be drawn to. And I saw the trailer and I thought, oh, my my goodness, this looks like it could be violent and creepy. But I like that it's what they call a why done it instead of a who done it. So everyone knows she did it, but no one knows why. Where did you stab him? I stabbed in his neck. You had no interaction with him before today. I've never met him before in my life. And after watching the trailer, I thought that was actually an interesting premise. Bill Pullman, I found interesting with his little interest in sadomasochism. I thought it was kind of gripping, and I thought I could tune back in to see where this goes. One of the things you just brought up, the show's um, secondary parallel storyline, which is Bill Pullman as Detective Harry Ambrose, um, he's involved in this sadomasochistic relationship with the waitress. And mm-hmm. it's just sort of odd, like, I'm not quite sure where this fits in, but obviously it must, because, and we'll find out later on. But it's very compelling because both the actor, he is so much more um, accessible to us because the way he acts when he's with uh, Jessica Biel is very much the detective. We know nothing about him. He's drawing it all out of her. And so to have this juxtaposition of this parallel story, I think is very helpful to see who he is and why he's so compelled to find out and to save her if there, if she did, in fact, know him in some way. That's an impulse killing. It's emotional. Whatever you have to do now, I won't blame you. You know, the mind plays tricks. You see things that aren't there. What are you remembering? It looked like he recognized her. We get to see his, his, his pain and his humanity and his, you know, his distress 
in this parallel life that we're just getting tastes of right now. So I think it was really smart to put it in. I really do. It's um, a far cry from while you were sleeping. But Hollister, <laughs> I had to laugh because when I first saw his blue fingernails. Yeah, well, his thought, the black huh, and blue, you mean, yeah. Black and blue. I thought, you know, it, he doesn't exactly look like someone who rows crew. That's a common rowing injury where you, you know, bang your fingers against the side of the boat. Uh-huh. And then, of course, when I saw what was causing the fingernails, I was like, yep, definitely yeah. not a rower. But it wasn't blue nail polish, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, Jessica's very good. Now, she also stated that she had trouble. She had trouble leaving the part behind when she went home. Oh, dear. Yeah. Wow. But because her husband is so friggin' fabulous, um, <laughs> she got through it. I would describe The Sinner as a very unique take on an investigative story. It's crazy, man. She just seems so normal, the mom with her kid. Cora initially is a seemingly very normal young woman, but there's a constant struggle within her. Now, also, you know, you know how I am about titles, right? Oh, yes. Okay, so the sinner, you know, because she's not the sinner, obviously. She, you know, I mean, she's a murderer, but she's not a sinner. <laughs> okay, but we have we have to know that the title is going to tell us something down the road, don't you think? I think she does qualify, but I think you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, I don't think that's does... what we're talking about here with this title. So then I keep thinking, okay, who is the sinner and was it the guy or, you know, whatever. But, you know, it's clearly going to unfold slowly but surely. You know, do you remember that? Do you know, can you, can you tell me? Here's, here's the hashtag blast from the past. Ready? Slowly I turn step by step, inch by inch. Do you remember that movie? No. Well, I don't either, but I remember the, I mean, I don't remember the name of it. But when I was a don't kid, leave me hanging, when, I, when I was a kid, all of us, everyone across America would say, slowly I turned. I think it was Laurel and Hardy or the Three Stooges or something. I don't remember, but okay, before okay. you're done. One of our listeners has got to write into us at screenthoughts at gmail.com okay. and identify this live. I'll find for out us. where it comes from. I promise we'll look it up. Okay, but Jessica Beale, you know what? You've got something worthy of you. Really nicely done. Really nicely done. You know, when I was thinking of the title, The Sinner, it made me think of the show that you reviewed, The Path. And I felt like it was like The Path meets Orange is the New Black meets The Affair. Yeah. If you kind of melded those together. But watching her, and I really was impressed, I thought, what was the last thing I saw her in? And I'm sure there's been something else, but this is a suggestion for this week's Blast from the Past film. It's not that old. It's from 2008. Did you ever see her in the film Easy Virtue? It was based on the Noel Coward play. Okay, I think you would really like it, Hollister. It takes place between the two world wars. It's set in England. Kristen Scott Thomas and Colin Firth. And you know I love her from... Random hearts, right? So they play a couple. They're stuffy English parents to this son who brings home a gasp and shudder American wife. And the wife is played by Jessica Biel. Smile, Marion. I don't feel like smiling. You're English, dear. Fake it. This is my wife. Welcome. The pleasure is all mine. Oh, you're American. I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't really thought of her much in acting. You know, she doesn't come to my mind much. Um, but now I, I will, I will pay attention, and I hope she continues to choose uh, parts that are very challenging for her. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we go from sinning. I mean, we're so busy. Norman Mailer's son directed 
And his other son, John Mailer, wrote it. And Demi Moore and Alec Baldwin are rejoined. Remember them in The Juror? Did you see them in The Juror? I might have seen that a long time ago. Yeah, great movie. I really liked it, actually. So, And they had great energy together in that. I mean, they were adversaries, but it was really very, very static-filled. So they rejoined to see Blind <laughs> with Alec Baldwin. And, okay, I'm the one who made you watch this. Like, do you have any... Uh, it's, there's a reason it didn't do a national release, right? Is there a reason that it didn't do a national release? I was wondering how you came across this movie. And you know what? I did a Tuesday trailer on it, okay? And that's where I originally okay. saw it. But I'll see Alec Baldwin in anything. For the visually impaired, feeling is seeing. So don't be alarmed if he touches you. Suzanne Dutchman. Tough name to carry around these days, I'm sorry. He's my husband. Well, I'm sure he's nice once you get to know him. And except for when he's being beaten up by his lover's husband. Played by Dylan McDermott. Do not see Suzanne again. I thought he was very good acting a role that he's been hugely criticized for. The blind community came out and they were very angry. They felt a blind actor should have played it. Well, Norman Mailer's son, who you mentioned, who directed this, this was his directorial debut. I know it was. Ouch. And when I saw those headlines that said, you know, he has to defend Alec Baldwin playing this part, I, I, I thought it was because of the acting and because of the writing. I didn't think it was because he himself wasn't blind. So he had to release a statement and he said, you know, I totally embrace opportunities for everybody and would love to see more disabled people playing all kinds of parts, but, you know, not to take away from some of the great acting jobs like Daniel Day-Lewis and My Left Foot. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was watching this movie, Hollister, I thought one of two things must be the case. (laughs) (laughs) I thought either Alec Baldwin promised his wife that the first script to come across his desk that featured a yoga instructor, (laughs) he would just have to say yes to so she could play the part, which she did in this. Or I thought maybe like Shonda Rhimes, this is his year of yes. And every time a friend approaches him and says, I want to do my directorial debut, Alec Baldwin just says yes, because no, you know what? I think it, you know, he I, was I, in Eleanor Coppola's Paris Can Wait, and that was her directorial debut. I think Alec Baldwin did this because he wanted to play somebody who was sightless. And I think overall he did a really good job. And I think it's challenging. I think it's challenging to play an entire you know, role where you can't see what's happening. And so everything has to, you know, be positioned a bit differently, you know, and maybe they paid him a lot of money because they certainly have a lot of money and maybe um, it fit into his schedule. It was going to be a short shoot. And, you know, Demi Moore must have just gotten out of the hospital from her face surgery that made her unrecognizable. Mm. I mean, she was so beautiful. Why Meg Ryan, Demi Moore, why are they doing this? Why? Well, Hollywood is not easy on women and actors in general, but I I can see how Alec Baldwin would be drawn to the challenge, but the script... Alistair, I mean, there were really Wait, lines like... are you not like, going to allow us to talk about Demi Moore's facelift? Okay, I'm sorry. Here, I'll put it on pause. Okay. <laughs> okay, I know you don't want to go here, but you just have to murmur a little bit while I say she didn't need to do that. She's a stunning woman, and now I don't even recognize her anymore. And was it just me, or did they have really very little chemistry between them? For something that was supposed to be a love story, I didn't really see this deep and charming connection. I've never found him to be... Uh, very easy romantically on the screen, though. 
Have you? Like, I liked his chemistry with Meryl Streep, and it's complicated. Yeah, but that was, but that wasn't, oh my God, I have to have you chemistry. It was, we've been here a lot before, and he was funny. All of their sex scenes were funny. And you know what? This movie needed a little bit of humor. Demi Moore had totally lost her sense of humor, and he lost his. Well, if his, you looked like so... that after, <laughs> if you looked like that, if you looked like that after a doctor took a scalpel to you, you would lose your sense of humor and as yet, well. Every man in the movie kept saying, "Haven't you seen how beautiful my wife is? <laughs> Haven't you seen how beautiful my wife?" Is? So I don't know. Maybe that was in her contract. Oh, but no, 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 nay, nay, honestly, nay, nay. I'm you know, so sad that she chose yet, to do that. And you can't take it back. I mean, that's one and, of those things you can't take it back. But you know, the minute the movie started, I thought this feels so antiquated in yeah. terms of sexist stereotypes. Oh, my God. Gorgeous. Happy 19th, baby. It's stunning. Just like you. It was predictable, totally. But then there were things that didn't make sense. So, for example, she's supposed to do this community service instead of going to prison like her husband. She's supposed to read for the blind. And she starts reading Anna Karenina. Now, we know from a prior clunky moment in the script that she had been offered a job as an executive editor. And she starts to read to Alec Baldwin as so she could barely read. And I thought, okay, if you're supposed to be an executive editor and you have the stunt glasses... I would think you'd be able to read a little bit better than this. Well, can I defend her here? I'm going to defend her. Well, okay. You already knocked her down, so defend her, I know. Alistair. I'm going to build her back yeah. up a little bit. Okay. Okay. It wasn't... She did, It's not that she didn't know how to read. She knew how to read. She was so angry at him. And she reading is an intimate thing to do to, with somebody. And it was clear that she knew exactly how to do it. And that's sort of what he knew, too. And she wasn't doing it because she was so angry. She didn't want to have that intimacy of sharing a story like that. And then once they got through that and you listened to her read, she read totally fine. That's a very, very nice interpretation on the script. Well, Well, because he challenges her on it. He says, why are you reading it that way? There was nothing to be ashamed of. She recalled the ball and... Hold on. This is the most important moment in the book. You either have to make the terrifying change that will alter your life in ways you can't imagine. Or... Live out the rest of your days drowning in that familiar security while at night your dreams are filled with love you've never tasted. I mean, there's Alec Baldwin who berates everyone who steps inside his room. And all of a sudden the relationship is supposed to turn on a dime and now she's supposed to find him charming. And I just thought, I'm not buying this. This is not well, a believable the romance. shaving him with the one-edge... I mean, I, 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 mean like, honestly. I, I cringed when that... I mean, there are so many moments in there where you think, this is so contrived. And I just think Norman Mailer is saying, don't do this ever again <laughs> from the grave. Because he was one of the great writers, I think, of our time. What were you thinking? <laughs> Although, you know, from his talk show appearance, is not the most charming man on the well, planet. I'm sure he was not an easy dad either, I'm sure. You know, but um, did I ever tell you that I actually used to do reading for the blind? No, but I can see that. You have that little T voice. You have that nice voice. Mine's so big. Yeah. Well, I, d- I don't know about that, Hollister. It was actually very amusing because I volunteered at the lab, which was next door to MIT, so I did it with a friend, and every time I went in, you never knew what book you were going to be asked to read until you got there. I would go to my little cubbyhole and pull out my book, and it would be some 
textbook, like astrophysics for gods. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so hard because every time you came across a graph or a picture, you had to describe it, which isn't easy, you know, where you have to say the x-axis represents pupae growth and the y-axis. And my friend, every time she went to her cubbyhole, she had something like black beauty. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but, you know, I had a blind therapist for 16 years who I went to to see myself. Really? Yeah. <laughs> about <laughs> did I mean, it work I, I, there's no secrets here <laughs> you know, he went to harvard oh. and he told me that he had a reader that was with him 24 7 so he would this reader would go to the classes and would take the notes for him and then would read them to him and would read all the text to him and i think so basically his job was to be with dr shulman and to read through everything and he said it was you know really you know close relationship it was his mind speaking. Interesting. That the, the person who was with him, um, he learned the cadence of how Dr. Shulman liked to hear things, because we all read at our own pace in our own way. And uh, but you know, it's a very it's complex, no question. Complex, complex. Okay, but also we paid nine ninety nine for that movie. <laughs> I think oh, we should dear. try to sell it on screen thoughts <laughs> for five dollars. What do you think? You know, one thing I did enjoy was the credits at the end. I liked how they went in and out of focus. Okay, but the the big thing you know about it, right? The big thing. What was the big thing about it? Okay, I wonder. You know, for those of you who haven't heard this in a while, O'Toole always stays. Not for the credits in general, but till the screen goes white and the lights mm-hmm. go back on. And so if you go to the movies with her, you're sort of like drumming your fingers on the... On the and she no, makes you're fascinated. You're doing whatever, but... And she is mesmerized by the screen. Okay, but... It's like a standing ovation at the theater. Okay. You clap and you give it your due. The song that was sung during the credits was sung by... Robert Redford. Yep. (laughs) By the way, I just want to go on record as... Remember I told you I was never singing again because everybody was complaining about it? Uh Uh-huh. I sing better than Robert Redford, don't you think? First, I was like, that's Robert Redford singing? Yeah, it was. And then I thought, I wonder if... Demi Moore got him to do it because, you know, he did pay a million dollars to sleep with Mm. her. (laughs) It's like, maybe that's a little extra interest on that. I don't know about that. And you can hear that it's his voice. It's obviously his voice. And he is totally tone deaf. (laughs) And and for me, who is also tone deaf, to know that he's tone deaf. I love Robert Redford. I love pretty much every movie he's ever been in. Um, and he should stick to directing, which I think he his Academy Award for Ordinary People absolutely deserved. I think his acting is um, is great. His hair is always perfect, but he should not sing. Just FYI, should not sing. But you know, one other thought I had about this movie. Okay, I, I can't As believe I you have another it, thought on this movie. I'm I, out of thoughts on this know. movie. <laughs> I was trying to multitask while watching. I think it would have been more interesting. I know this goes back to your point that Alec Baldwin wanted the challenge, but I think it would have been more interesting if Alec Baldwin and Dylan McDermott had swapped roles. Yeah, but he's played that role so many times. Why would he do it again? I think it would have been a little bit more believable, though. Mm. And like Paris Can Wait, I kind of thought, is she really swapping up? I'm not all that sure. <laughs> Which is a sad commentary oh, when you really think liked about it. I liked her I mean, felon I, husband. Know, I, I thought he'd... I, they didn't wrap things up well, and it was really badly written. That's the end of that story. I kept thinking it could have been a really fascinating movie if it had been European. Everyone makes mistakes. Something has to change. 
we're over this movie. We have to move on because <laughs> okay. there are great women to talk about. And I wish I could have seen the movie you saw. It's not playing anywhere near me. It's called Marie Curie, The Courage of Knowledge. And Hollister, it's like a visual elegy to the life and loves of Madame Curie. Quand l'homme a découvert le feu, il s'est brûlé. Mais que fera-t-on aujourd'hui sans feu? Had very artistic cinematography with images dissolving into the horizon. And after watching Blind, I thought, who would have thought that there would be more erotic scenes in a movie about Madame Curie well, than from what a movie starring Demi Moore? I went out and read about it because I knew you were doing it. Um, it's more of a love story than really about the scientific um, headway she made. Although, didn't it remind you of the wife of Albert Einstein once again? You know, once again, it did. And the young Albert Einstein again makes an appearance in this movie. And it's actually got more science than you would think from the other reviews that you probably read. In fact, they even used her actual lab equipment to film the scenes in the movie. That's sort of cool. But the overriding thought that I came away with is I really need to learn how to do more with my time. Okay, Hollister, check this out. <laughs> Madame Curie was pretty young when her husband, Pierre, was run over by a horse-drawn wagon. So he dies, leaving her the single mother of two young daughters. She has to care for her ailing father. She runs a school. She runs a lab. She faces rampant sexism. She has to convince the university to let her become the first female professor so she can take over her late husband's professorship. One guy, you know, the dean of some school, he won't even offer her a job because he said, well, he couldn't offer her a cigar upon acceptance. So what was she even doing taking up time in his office? And this is all after she's won the Nobel Prize, right? So as I was watching this, at the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm just going to give myself over to the visuals and the French storytelling rhythm, because the dialogue for an American ear at the beginning, you kind of feel like they're talking about isotopes, and then they're talking about my grandfather loved sweet plums, you know, <laughs> something like that. But the story started to gain in structure. My inner geek decided that because Marie Curie discovered element number 88, radium, I was going to give you my eight favorite facts about Marie Curie. I have to listen to eight. Can you just give me three? I don't they're think quick. our people want eight. How about three? They're very okay, quick. Okay, you're limited no, to they're... four. That's your, my final You offer. won't even feel the eight. It's going to be shorter okay, than our discussion better hurry of flight. then. Let's go. Okay, well, you know I feel a bond with the Nobel Prizes because they're always awarded on my birthday. Clearly. So she was the first woman to win the Nobel Prize. She was the first person to win two Nobel Prizes. And guess who the second woman was to ever win the Nobel Prize? No idea. Her daughter. Huh. I never knew that. Okay, she discovered two elements, radium and polonium. Never thought about this. She was actually from Poland. So she named polonium after Poland. She developed the theory of radioactivity. Mm. And she traveled around in World War I with these x-ray machines she invented to help save a lot of the soldiers' lives. Yeah. Her papers, even her cookbooks, are so contaminated with radiation that if you're a researcher today and you want to read Marie Curie's books, you have to wear protective clothing. They're kept in lead-lined boxes. And we're already at number eight. Albert Einstein, Marie Curie. She never patented her process so that research could continue unfettered. Good for her. Albert Einstein said she was probably the only person who could not be corrupted 
by fame. Okay, but you didn't get this from the movie. You looked this up, right? Some of it is in the movie. Mm-hmm. What I did get from the movie, which I didn't just mention, she was excoriated in the press for having an affair with a fellow scientist. And apparently they wanted her to renounce her second Nobel Prize. And she said, look, if I were a man, you wouldn't even be discussing this. The scientist she had the affair with, Marie Curie's granddaughter, ended up marrying his grandson. It's kind of like that Carrie Fisher skit where they're trying to figure out if they were related through scandal. (laughs) One other thing I wanted to mention at the very, very end, because you know how attached I am to credits, they're showing the credits and all of a sudden there's modern day footage of school kids running through a Parisian park. And for a minute, I thought, is this the right credits reel? And then you see the actress who did a fabulous job playing Marie Curie walk the other way in her period clothing. And the guy that played her lover, he's walking through the park with his bowler hat and you see an SUV cut behind him. And it was one of the funnest things I've ever seen in in credits where it's them going to and from the set. So you see modern day Paris behind them and you realize just how magical it is to actually create a set because there was not a moment in this movie where I didn't feel like this is really Marie Curie Mm. and I'm in that time period. So do you recommend that I go to it? If you're into cinematography and you want to spend an hour and a half with Marie Curie, I totally recommend it. Well, I don't want to get radiated, so I don't... (laughs) (laughs) By the way, can't can't they take radiation out of a book? Can't they cleanse it? Can't they do something? I don't think so. I mean, I think it's so dangerous because it's like, splitting an atom you know she was into the chemistry of the imponderable those are the last words of her nobel address wow that's great well you know what Mm -hmm. kudos to her kudos to albert einstein's wife who was equal to him scientifically and god bless women in science you know yep yep we have to go back to murder again. We're going to end Boy, with murder. Look at us with the center and everything else this week. <laughs> Our list of six. Six murder yes. movies. But you know, there were yes. so many. And I know you thought I was going to do Silence of the Lambs, so I didn't, even though everybody knows it's my favorite murder mo- movie. You know, I figured that you probably have your own noun for it. Something beyond murder. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't even belong in any list. It belongs all by mm-hmm. itself. Although I did see one review that said Alec Baldwin in Blind was channeling his inner Hannibal Lecter. How dare they say that? I can't say that I saw that. How dare they denigrate my Hannibal that way? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. All right, but why don't you kick us off? What do you have? Okay, I'm going to start with A Perfect Murder from 1998. It starred Michael Douglas and Gwyneth Paltrow Uh as a husband and wife. And at the time, I thought that was a little creepy, to be honest with you, because he was friends with her real-life parents. So I thought, okay, that's a little creepy that he's playing her husband. But the reason I loved it is because it starred Viggo Mortensen. Half a million dollars. Tax-free. Just for walking away from her? I said tax-free. I didn't say free. What's 500 grand for? Killing my wife. And if all of this sounds familiar, it was a remake of the Alfred Hitchcock Dial M for Murder from 1954, starring Grace Kelly. Huh. Very good. Mm -hmm. I can see that one. I definitely can. Michael Douglas, I thought, is I think he plays that role really well. All right, I'm going to start with Murder on the Orient Express, Sidney Lumet's version from 1974. And I hadn't read the book when I saw it. And so it was stellar because this constant, from the initial moment you start in it, there's tension that grows, 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 and you think this person did it, and this person did it, and this person did it. And then you have acting with Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, 
Jacqueline Bissett, Sean Connery, Anthony Perkins. You, you put a cast like that together on a train where there's constant tension and you, you get one of the best movies ever. So, and I also, as I was watching it, since I didn't know the book and hadn't read the book, I kept thinking, is this based on Anne Lindbergh? The Who's Who in The Who Done It. Ladies and gentlemen, we now come to my own reconstruction of the night of the murder. Murder on the Orient Express. I thought it was a good choice because they are redoing it. I was so excited when I saw the trailer for the yeah, new one coming out yeah. November 10th. Can we talk about that cast? Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. Penelope Cruz, Olivia Coleman, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Kenneth Branagh, and Derek Jacobi and from Last Tango in Halifax. I what I chose, I might point out. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know... The, but the first one, they have, it's a hard act to follow because it's, it's really, really well done. And that's my first choice. So where are you taking us next? Which murder is next? Okay. My next one is a murder trial-based movie, Jagged Edge, from 1985. Oh, you know, I, I loved it then. And then I watched it about a year ago, and it doesn't hold up. Really? Uh-huh. I haven't seen it in a long time, yep. but, you know, I love Jeff Bridges. Glenn Close played his attorney. I don't want you out in public until the trial is over. I don't want to see any pictures of you in the paper. I want you to look as though your life has been shattered. My life has been shattered. And I'm going to call this the murder-client romance genre, which really gave me a long-standing fear of typewriters. <laughs> I totally understand why. I absolutely do. Um, yeah. Thank and you. if you're going to write a note you don't want anybody to be able to find you from... Don't use the typewriter. Um, but here's the thing about it. The ending doesn't hold up the second time really? around. Yep. And you don't think it's just because you already knew how it was going to end? A good murder shouldn't matter. I mean, you know, Sons of the Lambs. I mean, I know exactly what's going to happen, but it still does it every time. Really? Yeah, I know. See, maybe that's, yeah, interesting. I, it would, be, I would mm-hmm. love to have you see it again and see, because I was so excited to come across it. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe I haven't seen this in years and years and years because it's never on TV. And um, and I watched it and I was like, oh, OK, maybe not. It's wow. slow. I'll... You know what it is? It's slow. Hmm. Hmm. Just as an FYI. OK. I'll have to give it another one. But watch. I understand why you chose it because I thought that, too, until I saw it again. Um, OK, I'm going to go with The Bone Collector. Did you ever see it? I never saw that. Angelina Jolie yep. plays a detective, and she's directed by uh, Denzel Washington in from a bed because he's been made a quadriplegic from an accident. He is the great detective. In it, the movie. In the movie, yeah. And the two of them, their relationship grows. It starts off not in a good place, and it grows, and they're very, very good together. They're very good together. The tension in it is excruciating, and you're just behind the killer too many times. And as it's happening, you're like, oh my God, we just missed it. We just missed it. It's, it's beautifully woven and beautifully filmed. I want you to work the case with us. Forensics is not my area. Are you being modest or are you a little uneasy about doing some real police work? And the two of them, Angelina Jolie and Denzel Washington, are very good. And she's really good in this. And I I don't think she's been touted enough for it. So I picked The Bone Collector. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, you should. 
Uh, no, you shouldn't. You don't like that. It's too scary for you. It's about a serial killer. I clearly I I must have a serial killer in me because because you know I'm drawn to these films. But uh, you know I you know but I'm tell tell our listeners that I'm not a serial killer at all. You're not, okay. although you did choose this list of six. Okay, but nobody it's, but you, nobody thought Hannibal was either. He had dinner parties that people love coming to. <laughs> Okay, so what do you have next? What's your Okay, my last one I'm going to go with Double Jeopardy from 1999 I knew you were with do that. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones and Ashley Judd. I love it. It's kind of a fun premise. I'm not sure constitutionally it holds up, but you know, Ashley Judd plays a woman who's framed for her husband's murder. And she does the time for the crime, but then she realizes he's still alive. So she sets out to murder him, thinking double jeopardy, you know, I can't be tried again. Which again, you know, I wouldn't use that as your legal defense if this is your <laughs> this is your plan. Now here's a little bit of trivia just for you, Hollister. Okay, I love trivia. Did you know that Jodie Foster, your Jodie Foster, was supposed to play the role that went to Ashley Judd? No. And this was after Meg Ryan and Brooke Shields had both turned down the part. I don't see her in that role, though, do you? Jodie Foster? Yep. I don't see her as being married to him. I don't. She was oh. a trophy wife to him, and I don't think she carries that beautiful girl thing enough. I don't think she's soft enough to play that role. We should do this more often. Go away, just the two of us, with nobody else around. Well, Ashley Judd really was terrific, so I have a hard time seeing anybody else in I it. Agree. But Jodie Foster was pregnant, so that's why she had to give up the role. Well, I'm and glad it she did because Judd. it starts off. Ashley Judd is very girly. You know, she's she's naive. She's sweet. She's and she is to grow into this hardened person who's, you know, got a mission bigger than her nature. And I think that's what's so great about Double Jeopardy is that we watch the growth, the change in her as circumstances send her to a side of herself that would never have come out otherwise. And I don't think Jodie Foster has that initial part to play. You know what you're mentioning here about character growth is exactly what was missing for me in Blind. Not to bring it up again. You know, we are blinded by the light (laughs) of not ever going there again. Blinded by the light. Okay, Hollister, what's your last one? Why, you want me to stop singing? Is that why you're... Okay, I get it. Girl with the dragon tattoo, but but I want the foreign film, not the new one. Not the American okay. version. It's a good choice. Uh-huh. That, yep. Okay, I love Lisbeth Salander, the character. Interesting, Hollister. Yeah. We don't need an intervention, do we? I'm sure we do. I mean, you know, look, people people listen and they think, God, I hope I never meet her on the street. But anyway, uh, I love her. In an interview, um, Numi Rapace, who played her, she said mm-hmm. in an interview on the BBC that she prepared for seven months for her role. She's on this strict diet, took kickboxing lessons every day, and she actually had her eyebrow and her nose pierced to do it. It wasn't fake. I know. And that's dedication, number one. But number two, I think there's a great reveal at the end. I think it's a slow grow. You know, I like fat. I mean, the bone collector is boom, 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 one after another. Murder on the Orient Express, boom, 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 run right after another. But this one I wanted to, to layer in here because it's a slow grow. You know, we meander through this 25 year period um, constantly wondering, but can't seem to come up with the clues. 
And the parallel stories are wonderful. It's a really, really great film, don't you think? I do. I thought it was very well done. I really enjoyed the book. Mm -hmm. And the actress that you mentioned, Numi, the Swedish actress, she is in a ton of upcoming projects. She's one busy actor. Well, she clearly committed to the role. I mean, you know, you know, I would not have my eyebrow pierced to do a role when they could pretend it was pierced, you know. She wanted to really be that, per, you know, feel that person. It was good for her. You go, girl. Well, there I was thinking maybe you were going to mention Rear Window. <laughs> I should have known I it would be the saw girl Rear Window. with the I'm dragon not, tattoo. Know, like, really? Uh, no, never did. Huh. I'm surprised you didn't go back to the early days of murder. I didn't quite make it up to your era I either. Know, but, you know, murder is not something that really, you don't even say it with the same forcefulness that I'm able to say it. <laughs> 